countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey! It is now time for more of the last comic shop! Where we open the shop up to newbies and help them find their way under the comic book tent. And we keep the lights on for the oldies to help them level up by, you know, reading and talking about comic books. Absolutely, and I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, along with J.A. Scott and Chad Smith, my wonderful co-hosts. And uh, this week we're reading and talking about a magnum opus that was recently released in the last couple of months by a fantastic comic book artist, Barry Windsor Smith. (laughs) which a lot of modern comic book fans might not know about because, honestly, he doesn't have a major footprint in terms of the amount of books that he's drawn over the years. And if you've been wondering where he's been, he's actually been working on this particular book that we're reviewing today, Monsters. One of the main reasons that we were going to be doing this book is because of a story that was told by one of our tremendous guest hosts that we love having back on the program once in a while. That is the incomparable Mikey Wood, the uh, Pittsburgh-based comic book artist and creator. Do you mind uh, telling our audience about the original story about how Monsters kind of developed uh, and where it originally came from? Yeah, sure. So any readers of the Hulk, there's a lot of people who love the Hulk, so they might remember back in 1984... Bill Mantlo wrote this, uh, an issue of the Hulk that talked about the Hulk being a manifestation of Bruce Banner's abusive background when he was a child. It's he's almost multiple personality disorder sort of thing. And, and Peter David later used some of that in, in his run, but pr- around the same time that Mantlo wrote that, well, uh, Barry Windsor Smith pitched this story called Thanksgiving. His father was a veteran of World War II and was suffering some form of, of a PTSD sort of situation and was terribly abusive to, to Bruce and his mother. And, and Bruce ended up sort of like withholding all of this abuse. And, and, and that's what sort of damages him. So that that's kind of the, the, the emotional seed that grows into the Hulk when, when he turns into a Hulk, if you want to talk about it that way. So that story was, from what I understand, it was it was turned down by Marvel. Uh, so he took it to a couple of different places. He adapted it, changed it from a Hulk story, and, and sort of tweaked it a little bit and went to Dark Horse. Well, it was at Dark Horse, it was going to be called Big Red, is what the title was, because he was going to be like a Red Hulk, which they ended up actually doing in the Hulk books as well. Right. They used a Red Hulk. But uh, Windsor Smith had a series called Storyteller, and there was an issue with the editor of that, and, and he ended up leaving Dark Horse. So then he kind of pitched it to DC... Um, where it was going to be an entirely new character. But Karen Berger didn't really like some of the language used in that, which I'm sure we can get to a little bit later on. Um, And then he just, throughout the years, just continued to tweak it and tweak it and change chunks of it and adapt it. So now when I I heard the announcement of the book Monsters, I thought the Thanksgiving story was going to be like one story in a sort of like an anthology book of different stories by him. I didn't realize he took this Hulk, idea and fleshed it out to like a 360 something page book which is amazing to me but that that's kind of the history of it well i actually want to tack something on because it i originally uh heard this from you about this whole thanksgiving story and i went and i I did some online detective work and it turns out that uh, marvel did not deny the pitch they had accepted but Barry uh, Smith didn't want it to be. He didn't want the anything to be finalized until he was done with the story. Okay. And so what happened was he had gone through Jim Shooter and everything was was all set up. Um, I, I can't remember if it was Al Milgram or somebody had made copies of the pages that he had been working on, but he wasn't done yet. And they ended up in the Hulk file. And then the the scuttlebutt was that Bill Mantlo saw those pages. And took the story idea, and then incorporated it into the into his Incredible Hulk run, and that yeah. pissed Barry Smith off. And so then he pulled the work and wasn't oh. publish it there. But then everything happened with Bill Mantlo, and so you get Barry Smith's side of the story, but you never get Bill Mantlo's side of the story. Yeah, um, and so it's one of those things that we'll never really know for sure. I didn't know he actually yoinked it from him. That's funny. But it's interesting that those kind of seeds that Barry Windsor Smith planted 
regardless of whether, you know, who ran with it or whatever, they have become massive parts of the Hulk mythology nowadays. Like everything's about the Hulk's multiple personality disorder. If you read uh, Al Ewing's current Immortal Hulk series, it's like front and center right there about, you know, his mental illness. There's been stories I've read in the past. Uh, I can't remember who did it, but uh, the notion that originally Bruce Banner ran out not to save Rick Jones from the atom bomb blast, but to kill himself because he was trying to commit suicide. He didn't think he was going to survive that. Uh, so these have been become major, major parts of the Hulk mythology. And uh, I kind of wanted to pick your, each of your brains about the Hulk. Can you even now think of the Hulk without thinking of these seeds that originally kind of came from Barry Windsor Smith, J.A.? I like the idea of a complex Hulk that it just goes beyond a green rage monster that comes out when you're angry. I think uh, the Hulk has become more complex as our understanding and awareness societally of mental health has become more complex. I like that dichotomy because as we have become more aware of post-traumatic stress disorder and how we deal with mental health and what we do in our mind to survive things, as society has become more aware of how to talk about that and, and what's going on, I think the stories that you can do with the Hulk have become naturally more complex because they go to that space so easily. If you think back at, you know, the, the Lou Ferrigno 80s Hulk TV show, it, it was just, you know, I'm angry. So when I'm angry, I turn green. Right. And it also adds that level of complexity to the Hulk as a character. And like, for me, my Hulk starts with Peter David, just because that's what I was reading when I, I really got into the character and watching him go into the Hulk's multiple personalities and explore all those different issues. It blew my mind as a kid, like, wait a minute, I thought this was just, you know, Hulk smash, but there was so much more going on beneath the surface. To see that play out over generations and, you know, over the, the time I've been reading comics since and look at the stuff with Al Ewing, look at the stuff that I think was Bruce Jones did whenever yeah. mm -hmm. uh, Banner was, you know, going across the country. There have been so many different things that have happened with the Hulk, but they don't mean as much without that depth yeah. uh, that, that's planted here. And that, that adds that extra level, too, for the whole, you, you know, when Hulk speaks of Banner as a separate person. And when he when he talks about how Banner is weak and Banner is, it stops being just this big guy talking about a wimpy little guy. It turns it into the same voices that people who suffer from that kind of stuff hear in their minds. They tell themselves all the time that they're weak and that they're puny. So the, the Hulk is this manifestation of the voices that abused people here and there. I, I mean, it just adds such a, like it's depressing as all hell and everything, but, <laughs> yeah. but it is, but it adds just this layer that so is, is so much more than just the, the guy that, well, in the first, I think first two issues or something, he only turned into the Hulk by moonlight. He was like a werewolf. Yeah. Um, the first couple Al, of appearances. Al Ewing uh, kind of followed up and gave an explanation of that in the current Immortal Hulk run that the reason why the Hulk only came out as night is because he was ashamed. Oh, he was yeah. ashamed of turning into the Hulk, so he didn't want anybody to see him. So he wanted to be hidden by darkness. And so the more that he became unashamed of being the Hulk, he was able to let out his childlike persona and the Savage Hulk. And it, it's fascinating stuff. But it's not just like, for example, Al Ewing. A lot of folks, you know, they love the, the new modern interpretations of the Hulk in the MCU movies. But you can go back to the Ang Lee movies in 2000, and they were talking about the Hulk being a victim of child abuse. And um, in, in the Ang Lee movie, uh, David Banner was experiment, which is like a, a shout out to the TV show because on the TV show, they didn't want to call him Bruce Banner because apparently the name Bruce has, has some connotation that they didn't want to associate with the character, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, but Lou Ferrigno and green body paint. No, right. Problems. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's not, that's not ultra sexy at all. Um, so yeah, so he was trying to experiment. He was experimenting on his kid on himself that transferred over to his kid and then something happened and he ends up murdering the mom and the kid witnesses all of this and things like that and withholds it and is adopted and all this other. Yeah. So, I mean, so it became a, an element of that. And I, I don't think that movie gets enough respect, honestly. Um, that's true. That's, I, I was going to say with the Angley movie aside, just because it's been geez, two decades since I've seen it, there's just some things that fit a character. Mm -hmm. And so often we have things that come along generations after 
and like I'll never forgive JMS for the spider totem. <laughs> like that's so friggin' stupid. Drives me crazy. But sometimes people come along and they add something to the character. It's like, no, this just fits. It's like the missing puzzle piece that you didn't know you were missing. Yeah. And you know, that's that's what the trauma for the Hulk is. Like I was gonna say, yeah, sort of you know, another great Barry Windsor Smith story, to be honest, the the Weapon X run. Yeah. Where you see what made Wolverine Wolverine, you know, why he's so messed up because of the trauma he went through mm. to become Weapon X. These stories that Barry Smith's known for, he must be a pretty messed up dude. I've never met him in real life, but boy, he spends a lot of time swimming around in these trauma, those tanks. Did he write Weapon X too? I yes, believe so. I believe yes. Wow. And so we're going to be talking a lot more about Barry Windsor Smith right after this commercial break. We'll be right back with more of the last comic shop where we'll finally be getting into the meat and potatoes of the actual book monsters. So if you enjoyed our Hulk talk, stay tuned for more savage monster goodness. Welcome to Victims and Villains. This is the channel where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Victims and Villains is a podcast and YouTube channel that marries pop culture and suicide prevention, producing content with the intent to let people know that there is hope and that there is a better way and that each and every listener has value and worth. Listen to Victims and Villains on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube by searching for Victims and Villains. Also, check out their website, victimsandvillains.net. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time to review Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith. But no comic book creator is oftentimes an island. So, J.A., who else worked on Monsters? This was written, drawn, inked, all by Barry Windsor Smith, published by Fantagraphics. So they were very much sort of his patron in this endeavor. Uh, editor was Gary Groth. He's also the publisher at Fantagraphics. There's some design work done by Jacob Covey, but that's probably the design on the graphic novel. And uh, Conrad Groth did some proofreading. But it is very much a singular Barry Windsor Smith effort with some help and support, obviously, financially by Fantagraphics to get it published. Yeah. And I got to say, that's one of my favorite comic book companies out there is Fantagraphics. They always put out great stuff. Um, I'm a huge fan of them. I have tons of Fantagraphics books, whether it's the Carl Barks, Donald Duck uh, reprints, or they've done terrific reprints of all kinds of uh, some Wally Wood stuff that you can't find anywhere anymore. They put out the Prince Valiant books. They did. Uh, They're just tremendous folks. But some folks might not know about Barry Windsor Smith. Again, I commented on that in the opening that, you know, modern fans might not know about him because his list of comic books is not very large. So we are going to go around before we get into the book and the 10 cent synopsis and name at least one Barry Windsor Smith book so that you can check these ones out uh, in addition to our recommendations later. So we'll start off with Chad. What's one Barry Windsor Smith drawn book, Chad? So I, I, I'm going to go with the Deathmate Prologue, which was the big crossover between Image and Valiant Comics, where at the very beginning, Barry Windsor Smith penciled uh, Bob Layton's story, was inked by Jim Lee, uh, does some beautiful stuff, and then it's followed up by, in my opinion, uh, an equal artistic tour de force in <laughs> Robert Liefeld. Which I know that is not a popular opinion, especially among some folks even here today. But I can't hear Rob Liefeld anymore without hearing the guitar in the background. Every time somebody says Rob Liefeld, all I hear is... (laughs) (laughs) That's called a a Babylonian response now. (laughs) I have trained all of our last Comic Shop podcast fans to hear that. Here it is again. Anyways, uh, J.A., what's a a book uh, that you can recommend from Barry Windsor Smith? Sure. So uh, he did a really great run, uh, early days of the original Valiant comic line, 
on both Solar Man of the Atom and Archer and Armstrong, and then had a heavy hand in the original Unity crossover. So if I had to pick anything from there, I would say look at the Alpha and Omega first 10 issues of Solar Man of the Atom, because they had two stories going on in those books. They had the story of like Solar in the now, here and now, and then the story about how Solar became Solar. And that's the story... That I think it's been put into a trade uh, that Barry Windsor Smith worked on. It's incredible. And it ends with this. It was a two-page spread over ten issues that you put together. So you put ten two-pages spreads together to make this massive image of the world going into a black hole from the nuclear meltdown. Awesome. Mikey, your, your pick? Well, okay, I kind of, I kind of have two. There's, there's Barry Windsor Smith's Storyteller, which was, uh, it was like nine issues from Dark Horse, and it's like an anthology thing, and he does all of, all of the work in there. There's a sci-fi story, there's a sword and sorcery story, and, and, but I don't, I haven't read all of them, so I can't really say as a whole. So I'm going to pick kind of an easy one, and, and it's, it's Uncanny X-Men number two hundred five. And it's a story called Wounded Wolf, and it's about Wolverine and Katie Power. Like, uh, Wolverine is having this sort of, like, uh, he's stuck in, like, his berserker rage or something, and, and Katie Powers is there, and they get stuck in a snowstorm. And it's just, it's phenomenal. It's just, like, a really, really great book. And um, it was written by Chris Claremont and Barry Windsor Smith, but but but, the, but he, Windsor Smith did all of the art. He penciled, inked it, colored it, everything. So it's Beautiful. It's my favorite yeah. issue of X-Men that I've ever read. So That's a good pick. Say, and he gets lots of props, too, on the X-Men for the life death where he brought in Forge. Yes. Who's still around today. Yeah, my pick is going between uh, Avengers 100, which is awesome, of uh, the original run of the Avengers. That's just cool because you get Barry Windsor Smith drawing all of the Avengers up to that point. So, like, everybody that ever was an Avenger, including some minor characters like Valkyrie, you get an awesome, you know, Hulk's in there. So, you know, speaking of our Hulk thing, uh, he shows up for a couple panels. It's really cool. So, like, if you like classic Silver Age, Bronze Age Avengers, that's an awesome uh, issue to track down but really my pick's gonna be his run on conan the barbarian which he got the job because stan lee said that john bushima's page rate was too high and so they said oh, i'll give it to barry windsor smith and he ends up drawing uh conan the barbarian that i prefer i know that i've i've talked with ja and both he and i both agree that the conan barbarian uh, the more slender, muscular build of Conan the Barbarian in Barry Windsor Smith's original Conan the Barbarian issues. I don't know. It just looks more realistic, more athletic. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, taking the Jason Momoa Conan over the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan. Now, I'm sure a lot of people would say that's sacrilegious, but... Uh... Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, I think that's a perfect analogy. It's just a, it's just a much more svelte almost conan like you can tell why the ladies love him it, you know they don't like the big muscles they like those lean muscles man that's what people love and the sinewy muscles that's right but that's, before we jump off of this the one thing i wanted to mention and this is something where it's a gap for me but i've read about it was that when barry smith first uh, came onto the scene as barry smith he was more of a jack kirby clone mm-hmm you know, a great storyteller, but, you know, his style looked like Jack Kirby. I haven't been able to track down any of those issues yet, but I would love to see the evolution because I, I picked up Barry Smith with uh, Weapon X is where my Barry Windsor Smith experience starts. Then I built back into the those Uncanny X-Men things. But I, I'm curious if it was a progression from Kirby to his, I call it the sinewy style, or if it was, you know... Just one day he adopted it, sort of like how Frank Miller has multiple styles he goes back and forth with. It's a very good question. If anybody's got any comments or can point us to some issues that uh, kind of have Barry Windsor Smith doing more of a Jack Kirby style, leave those comments and, and we'll give you a shout out on, on a future show. Ahead, oh, I'm sorry. One thing before before we close up, I just realized something. If you want to see some of Barry Windsor Smith's like his his early work where he was kind of kind of a Jack Kirby sort of amalgam, uh, issue 53 of Uncanny X Men, which is like the debut of Blastar, 
that was drawn by him. And yeah, so that, I just remembered that, and there you go. But in any case, let's get to that 10 cent synopsis of actually monsters and our dissection of this week's book. So, Mikey, since you kind of, in some Ooh. ways, recommended the book, what happens in monsters? Oh my God, so much. Um, at its base, it is the story of a uh, unwilling participant in a scientific experiment which turns him into a monster but the monsters in the title don't refer to him it delves into the the effects of abuse on on a child nazi science it's just it's big it's big and there's a lot and and it's impossible to put it to 10 cents it's that's fine the only one that i would add is kind of ptsd if you read very closely in the book, like ultimately uh, Bobby, who ends up being turned into a monster by a failed Nazi experiment to create a Superman, his father, uh, you know, is just a horrible, horrible person that beats him to the fact that he loses an eye and, and stuff like that. But there's also a sub story about how potentially the father was not originally like that. Kind of to your your uh, or, or your story earlier about the Incredible Hulk and Thanksgiving. Again, that's still the core of this book. You can tell which pages are that Thanksgiving story because again, it's it's talking about somebody that was in World War II that potentially was a very a normal kind soul that maybe spoke in poetry and things like that, but the war just changed him in such drastic ways horrors of war and he never recovered from it and ended up ultimately taking it out on everybody that he formerly loved so they've got that facet of it too at least that was my take on on some of that again you you know it it was interesting how this book is so multi-layered in that regard yeah and i think we should mention that it the book jumps around a bit but it takes place sort of at the end of World War II up through the the middle 60s up through I think 64 65 so it's set in that era it's not it's not a set in the modern era or anything and the father I think you you, you hit it on the head he goes over and he's very much comes back a changed person not just because of war and not in the general sense of war cuz as you read on to the book you find out that he is the one who came upon this project prometheus these these nazi war experiments to become a to create a super soldier and that's almost like the original sin underlying this whole thing because it, it corrupts the father it corrupts the son it corrupts everything that touches it yeah because it's so horrific too i mean it it's true nightmare material like if you this i mean before we go any further i'm gonna say like you know, there are a lot of folks that listen to our show that have kids and things like that. They they listen to our show because we bring people into the comic book tent. Uh, this particular book is not for children at all. Uh, I would honestly say this is probably one of those books that I wouldn't let anybody under the age of probably 14, 15 read. It hurt me. It, it affected me. I had to take breaks in this book because it was it was too horrific at times. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say, too, it, and this happens to me a lot. When I read things, I tend to really, I let things get into my head. That's why I had to stop reading The Walking Dead. But I started, you know, uh, disaster prepping, whatever. But uh, this book, it has every kind of trauma. Every kind of trauma. It is terrible, and it is serious, and it is somber, and it is horrific. And I'm going to be really flippant about this. But man, you got your child abuse, you got your spousal abuse, you got your rape, you got your gunplay, you got your war PTSD, you got your genetic experimentation, you've got some Nazis, you've got political manipulation, you've got cannibalism, you've got infidelity, you've got traffic violence. There's every sort of traumatic thing just wrapped up into one traumatic ball and delivered in Barry Windsor Smith's uh, super detailed... He has such a, a great comic book art style, but it, that's what makes it so horrific. The the images are so well so well rendered. Oh, it's mm-hmm. it's tough. And this one, I I put it down for a week and walked away, and I was I was happy to be done with it. And I had to like sort of pump myself back up to to finish through the rest. But, See, I was gonna say the the first going and, and the Thanksgiving part was really hard to read through for me and, and it took a while to get into but at some point 
the story just grabbed hold of me and I could not put it down. The last 150 to 100 pages, I was like riveted. I couldn't mm. couldn't put it down, couldn't go away from it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Mikey, how was it for you when you read it the first time? Well, it, it's funny because in the beginning, it is Captain America done through a lens that isn't candy coated. So it's weak kid picked up by the government, subjected to an experiment to make him into some kind of super soldier. But in this case, it goes haywire. It, it seemed like a pretty standard story at one point, And then suddenly it kind of makes this shift. And then by the end of it, you're dealing with, you know, like Chad just said, you know, cannibalism. And then there's like ghosts involved and a clairvoyant little girl. And, yeah. and like, like, what the hell is that? Oh, I love the whole like Stephen King shine aspect of, yeah. of that family like, that they could carry on the shining. Right. This is this is like the first book that I can think of that I read that I think things could have been cut out of it and it could have been fine. But at the same time, it maybe wouldn't have been fine if they cut it out of it. Does that, does that make any sense? Like, it's like, I'm so split down the middle. Like I thought like some of the stuff didn't even necessarily need to be in there, but maybe it really did need to be in there. Like, like I haven't decided yet. No, I, I agree with you, Mikey. I mean, from a story perspective, I won't lie that at times I had a hard time following it a little bit because to to jay's point this jumps around narratively quite a lot and i think i commented to the guys that like possibly this would have been a little bit easier read to be done in issues where i could have taken a break in between every like 30 pages or something and maybe they could have you know had that cover in which they were kind of okay this is the now part of the story we're now doing this is now this part of the story we're now doing as opposed to one big tome which you kind of jump from this page to this page and then they switch stories i, I would have loved to have a little bit more of a an editor or the stan stan lee like check this page out you know sports fans because like it, it would have helped me but it's not having that stuff and this jumble of just horrific stuff done in like a very realistic style it was just hard it was beautiful i couldn't put it down but i desperately wanted to put it down (laughs) like i just wanted to i wanted it to go away it was like looking at real life and 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 real life is scary and that's the only way i can say it like these atrocities happen all the time in real life and we try to sugarcoat them and, and, you know, block them out and put our little blinders on. And when somebody says, no, look at it, look at it in, a, in its full ugliness and yeah. tells a story about it. It's just like, I, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I'm going to ask everybody that's evolved because we're all fathers. Like, did anybody have a hard time or like walk away from the, the scenes and just be like, am I am I a bad dad I, I was having a hard time like I said, I'm, I, I, this is awful stuff it was giving me anxiety almost I'll, I'll tell you for for me that that story the 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 flashback stuff where he goes home and he has the flashback of his father and mother and what happened on that really f- awful Thanksgiving day and the, the the tie-in story with his mother and the and the police officer that to me was my favorite part in the heart of the story like that's the part that that really sort of hit home the most for me it's weird because I, I this is gonna sound like I and 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 this isn't some sort of like attempt at, at at pity or anything but it made me think about my father and the way my father was and you know reflect on the fact that there was probably reasons for the way that he was and you know my my father wasn't like that guy uh, you know but but uh you know he was he was a pretty unhappy guy and he and he was pretty bombastic and he had this temper and 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 you know uh he never hit my mom or anything like that but it made me made me think more about that and and at the heart of this monster story this this horror story it's really kind of about the damage that trauma can do to people like it was said before how it goes from father to son or, or you know it's just and they're all seemingly except for the nazi guy but they're all seemingly innocent people that these terrible things happen to yeah it's, there's so much heavy stuff in this yeah it's just it's tough to to live with it's tough to swim around in this and like i, I know exactly what you meant andy in terms of like you know you put this book down and you look at your kids and it's like and kids remember everything yeah you know and you you think of those times when 
you know, you had a long day at work and they come over and they want to play and you're a little bit short with them. And it's like, Oh no, am I, you know, you you think every little thing you did wrong just by being a human and think, Oh God, like, I don't want that to turn out like this in some way, shape or form. And like, I, I, I get it. Like, yeah. And I think the most unnerving thing about it is that you get it from a different, a couple different angles. Like you're also introduced in this in this book to a character called Elias, who actually is not really that bad of a guy. Like he's the son of the one of the that was with Bobby's dad when they found the atrocities, and he's also like kind of one of these mystic characters that can kind of see more of the big things. He brings Bobby to the experiment. Like he's. He almost is the one that's like, here's the sacrificial lamb, and he can't live with himself. And so he starts withdrawing from his family, and Ian has a son. And even though he's not really doing anything that's, like, super awful, just the fact that he's, like, being weird around his son, like, you can see the son just becoming more quiet and, like, introspective and, like, I don't really want to get involved with this. And you, you just kind of, like it kind of mirrors Bobby a little bit. And then, like, these, these, these two sons that they start like going into themselves and becoming very quiet. And you see these wonderful Barry Windsor Smith where they just like stand there almost stone faced, like just seeing events happen around them. And you're like, they're too traumatized by what's going on to even say anything. They're just like accepting now they're like, whatever this is going to happen. And that's again with a character like Elias, who's actually a genuinely decent person throughout this entire book. He actually saves Bobby from the experiment in the end sacrifices him life to, to to give him freedom so this book it's like it's yeah. like looking in a, a funhouse mirror and being like what am i looking at yeah and i i really like the um the the character of elias and and sort of that that story arc with him and then his son a bit but much more his daughter who who is an old soul who has has sort of can speak to ghosts and and you, you get to this this sort of mystical element which doesn't feel like it would work. That's the one thing that I really liked about the book in general, and I was going to mention it in my rating and review, is that it has all these different genre elements that you don't necessarily consider going together, but like a really good Stephen King book, they do. The horror works with the Nazi stuff, with the post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and you know, the issues at home, with this whole mystical element of, of Elias and then his daughter much is finishing his legacy and able to save Bobby in the end. Because, you know, the story is very much about not just Bobby, but save Bobby and save his mom and, and save everyone to live sort of after their life to be able to have the life that they should have had. And I was going to say too, she's the one positive note, that little girl, like at the end, you know, and she's like, I was just helping daddy. And like, she does all this stuff and she sees through all this trauma and she's kind and helpful. And it's like everything else in this book is, you know, tearing down the world. She's the one bright glimmer. Thank goodness. There's something in there. Right. I liked her and I liked Jack a lot. I liked uh, Jack, the police officer who's actually a, you know, a military agent and becomes the governor. Like, I like I like that character a lot. That that was cool. You can still see a lot of the Hulk elements to it. Like, in fact, there, there's even a character named I don't know if it's a mistake or if it was an homage or what, but they still call him Talbot in the one part and Roth instead of Ross. You know, you can see how the characters could if you trickled it down a little bit could be the Hulk characters like Thunderbolt Ross and Talbot. Like you could see where it would fit. Um, it's not glaring to the point where it seems like it's a ripoff or anything like that. But, right. But you could, if you know the origins of the story, then you could see it. In, yeah. In I, I even thought that with the uh, Elias character at the, at the beginning, um, especially in the scene where, yeah, he escapes with Bobby and he's like, rip the chains, Bobby, and get out of here. It just reminded me so much of Jim Wilson, who was in the 70s and early 80s after Rick Jones kind of left the book and became part of Captain Marvel or whatever, came kind of like the Hulk's sidekick. And he was also African-American. So to your point, Mikey, there was a lot of like 
almost like analogs to these characters that would have existed in the Hulk that were kind of like thinly veiled. And, you know, and there's that scene where like basically Bobby saves the helicopter pilots from the burning wreckage. Uh, and that's so out of the Hulk. Like after they try to shoot him down, he goes into the burning wreckage to save these, these people that tried to kill him. That's like so savage Hulk to a T. So I agree that there's a lot of Hulk aspects still in this story. It's a heck of a book, man. It is heavy both thematically and both literally heavy because it's like 300-something pages. Um, right. Uh, but it took him, what, 15 years, 16 years from his last yeah. published work? Yeah. yeah. In any case, we'll be right back with our rating of Monsters right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned. Will it be as heavy? Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> That's heavy. Yes. Yeah, what you get at Thanksgiving, you get heavy gravy. Hey everybody, this is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. All right, we're back with more Last Comic Shop. It is now time for our ratings, where we take a book that Barry Windsor Smith worked really hard on for many, many years, and we assign it numerical value because we're critics or we pretend to be. Anyways, J.A. Scott always gives us a great way to rate our books every week for our unique one out of four scale. So, J.A., what are we doing for Monsters this week? Okay, so for Monsters, uh, we're going to go with one out of four diary pages. So this is an aspect of the book that we didn't talk about, uh, but there is several pages, uh, more than several pages, of diary entries handwritten by Bobby's mom. So we're going with diary pages. Absolutely. And those were difficult to read, uh, not only because they were in cursive, but... <laughs> I was actually going to ask J.A., uh, as his dad was a German professor, if he was able to read all of the German in this book, because I was thinking about putting it in a Google Translate or whatever, and I was just like, ah, whatever, they're talking in German sometimes. Did you pick up some extra things because you knew a little of that? Yes, but it's not as in-depth, or, or it, it's, it, it was very perfunctory German. You weren't losing a lot by not being able to read it. I okay, was, so no Easter eggs hidden. Not so much, no. It's almost a running gag at the at the dinner of all the Nazi officers where the guy stands up and is just going on and on and on. And they say, won't he shut up yet? Why does he keep blabbing? That's all he's doing. He's just like, you know, speaking to the great fatherland and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good for at least some fans that are listening to the show because they've read the book. Like, there you go, from J.A.'s. Uh, but anyways, J.A., since you gave us the rating scale, how many diary pages are you giving this one? So I would say when I was halfway through the book, I was thinking, okay, this is a two, two and a half diary page book. It's very heavy. It's hard to get into. It's hard to read. And then it just grabbed me like freaking meat hooks and it wouldn't let me go and i couldn't put it down for the last hundred pages i i had to find out what happened and the last 30 pages with the reveals and and you know the the girl saving bobby and everything i it to me it's a a four diary page it's just gangbusters it was really well done it's not the easiest thing to read but you know it's good we you know Every comic book shouldn't be flash and, and, and fun. If you want it to be a, a proper medium, it needs to be able to tell different types of stories. And this is a hard story. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not a good one. Uh, we'll go to Mikey Wood next. How many mm-hmm. diary pages are you giving it, sir? Um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give it like a strong like three and a half. 
Um, my only my only complaint is that it is kind of things that we talked about. It bounces around an awful lot. Some of the time changes I missed. You know, some of the faces kind of seem very similar. There are just a couple of, of, of elements that didn't fill in for me, and maybe I have to read it again. Maybe I missed it, but it's really good. Like, it's really, really good. Chad? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go 375. I think it, it's, it's masterful work uh, by, by Barry Windsor Smith here. Um, and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I, I didn't enjoy reading it. I don't think I'd like to read it again uh, because he does such a great job with it. Um, as far as being critical, the only part that really took me out of it were, were the Nazi scenes at the end where it almost seemed like eh, farcical with the way the Nazis were interacting with each other. And it's like, after all that th- that we'd been through, uh, they have this dinner scene and uh, it just didn't seem to fit, I guess, the tone of everything else. But it did because it was terrible and horrific things happened. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the Barry Windsor Smith art is beautiful and the, the line work is, is, is great. And it's a terrible story and it's 3.75. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to echo the, I think, three and a half for me, Diary Pages. It's it's kept away from being a four because, again, I thought the narrative jumped around a lot. So it is one of those books where you probably would get more out of a second reading. But will, to Chad's point, I be going back and reading it a second time? No. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's similar to other books. Some really, really wonderful ones that I love. I haven't been able to read Mouse more than once. Because, again, I had a hard time with that. I had a hard time with My Favorite Thing is Monsters. Also has monsters in the title. That was very difficult to read. Although we might cover that on the, on the show, so I might have to. But I'm not looking forward to reading that again. Even though that is a beautifully gorgeous story with wonderful, wonderful art. Like Monsters here. Do I think this book is for everyone that's listening to our show? In terms of like getting people into the comic book tent? No, I feel like in some ways for people that are listening to our show that are maybe new to comics or something like that, it's very good to know this is out there. But I honestly think like maybe you should read a couple other things and kind of eventually work yourself up to this or at least prepare in some way mentally because you're in for a road. It is it is disturbing, but it's at the same time sublime in how gorgeous the art is. And I think that's why it hurts to read it because it just hits you too close to home at times. And, and it has an indelible mark. I forgot to mention the mother and the story too. Like she's such a sympathetic character. And then she has that moment where she breaks too. I was like, Oh no. Yeah. But that's what makes it great. Cause oh. it's, everyone is real. Everyone has. Yeah. It's just so heartbreaking. And, 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 but to Andrew's point, you know, if this isn't the book to get people into the tent, you have to build up to it. That's perfect time for recommendations. Absolutely. Yeah. Where we like to find something similar, something recent, something out of left field or off the beaten path. And, of course, since we've got our special guest, Mikey Wood, this week, something from Mikey Wood. Yeah. That, <laughs> that cherry on top, as we often well, do. Chad, uh, what was your particular pick for this week? All right, so my recommendation for this week is going to be our current series. Uh, and I'm going to go off the, the beaten path from this, and I'm, I'm just going to go with Firepower by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney. And originally I was pushing for Andy to get us to review this on the show, and then I just read through uh, issues 1 through 13, and I'm like, no, I retract that because the book is so good. So good, we would have nothing to talk about. It'd be like that Chris Farley... Paul McCartney sketch, like, remember when they did this? That was awesome. Mm. That, that's all it would be. Remember when they fell out of the plane? And they- yeah. Oh, but yeah, the, the basic story, it starts off with, it's like an Iron Fist sort of tale. And the main character uh, leaves the island and then comes back and starts a family. But then it turns into like, Oh, they're dragging him back in. And there's intrigue and betrayal and things that you think at the beginning that aren't the things that are the real thing. And there may or may not be a dragon involved. And this guy throws fireballs. And like I said, it's Kirkman writing. It's Somni art. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's action-packed. 
Uh, if you, you have been missing action in comic books, like there are entire issues that are just fights. Like when I say that, it's not to be derogatory in any way, shape, or form. Like the fight scenes are beautifully choreographed, and it's just it's so well done. It's comic book at its finest. So that is a firepower. Uh, there was a prelude graphic novel, and it's still currently running. It's on shelves now at your local comic shop. So for similar, I'm going with uh, Barry Windsor Smith four issue Weapon X uh, run that was Marvel Comics presents seventy two to eighty four. Uh, you can find it in uh, trades upon trades have been released on this story. I think, you know, as you were referring to in your earlier comment on monsters, this book is a lot easier if you're getting into comics to understand. It tells a similar story. You know, it's, it's a story of, of how Wolverine became Wolverine, got the adamantium claws and everything. But, uh, you know, how a damaged person or becomes damaged. But what's interesting about it is the way Barry Windsor Smith decided to tell it. He doesn't tell it from the perspective of Wolverine. He tells it from the perspective of the scientists. And it's very much done almost like a slasher film where Wolverine is this unknown other mindless thing tracking them in this isolated base He's this unstoppable killing machine, and they're running away from him. You know, very horror tropey. But it's a great story. As I said, it's been collected many times in trades. You can find it at your comic book shop. You can find it on Comixology, Marvel Unlimited, all of them. Yeah, and then speaking of Marvel books, my out of the out of left field book this week is again also kind of similar because it's using basically uh, kind of a monster as the impetus to uh, basically just tell social relevant commentary stories. Uh, and that is the Bronze Age series Man-Thing that was written primarily by Steve Gerber. And you can get it in a wonderful trade, The Complete Man-Thing by Steve Gerber. Uh, and in particular, I'm going to be talking about Volume 1 today, uh, which not only includes like Man-Thing's origin, uh, but basically runs through many of the early issues up until about Mike Plew gets on the book. You can also get an omnibus, but that omnibus is a monster in within itself. You could probably use it to smash somebody over the head with because it's so thick. So I'm going to go with the, more of these trades. And I'm, I'm doing that in particularly because the trade has a great issue in it. It's a Marvel two-in-one uh, that deals with the thing who goes down to the Florida Everglades looking for a man thing because he thinks... He's impinging on his turf with the name Thing in his superhero title. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the Thing goes down there, beats up Man-Thing for a little bit, and ends up feeling very sorry for the Man-Thing and leaves. And that's really what most of the great Man-Thing stories are about, is that you know Steve Gerber got this character because in Bronze Age and Marvel of the 70s, they were going through a massive expansion and they didn't really have a time to edit a lot of books. So they would put people on and be like, just do whatever you want with it. As long as it, we get pages out and books sold, uh, we're fine with it. So Steve Gerber had a lot of artistic freedom. And in doing the Man Thing series, it, he starts basically painting this vegetable matter monster that can sense people's emotions. He starts becoming kind of like a tertiary character in his own book where he's just there, kind of like the Watcher. He's just observing the events that happen. Uh, and as a result of it, and the other great aspect that he introduced, which is this Florida Everglades place where the Man-Thing lives is the nexus of all realities, which allows him to just throw in random characters like Howard the Doc and Wondar, who's just basically an infant Superman, this clown character that come, shows up in the Mike Blue and Fool Killer, like all these interesting characters that really, that's what Steve Gerber wanted to tell these stories, like Fool Killer, you know, killing fools, but telling them 24 hours in advance that they're going to die. And that's kind of like Steve Gerber being like, I hate a lot of things in life, and I, I, I'd like to get rid of some these things, and, and kind of working out some of his own pet peeves and stuff like that through the comic book facade. And so... I think it's wonderful. Some people might like volume two because Mike Plew as a artist is more prevalent in those issues. But I think you should start with volume one because it gives you a good backstory as to where the series is going eventually. Mikey, your recommendation this week? 
I am going to be recommending The Horrorist, which was a uh, two-issue limited series uh, from DC Vertigo from uh, 1995, written by Jamie Delano, with art by David Lloyd of V for Vendetta, uh, among other things. I think it connects to the theme of of monsters in, in the fact that it deals with personal trauma and uh, people dealing with that, and John Constantine trying to find a cure for his lost humanity. Uh, so if you're familiar with the Constantine character, uh, it's a really good um, little miniseries that uh, apparently a lot of people don't know exists. So it's like it's like two prestige format books or, or, or whatever, so they're 50-something pages each. Good stuff. It is collected, the John Constantine Hellblazer collection that collects issues 10 through 13. There you go. Very, very cool. Uh, what's also super, super cool and, and not so traumatic is our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Uh, it's a terrific place where you can follow along with our show on all your favorite podcatching platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, CastBox, etc. And if you like the show, help us out by leaving a five-star review. We really would appreciate all of those fans out there giving us some great words of encouragement uh, through those fantastic reviews. So if you love us, let your voice be heard. Uh, And we'll definitely give you a shout out on some of those social media platforms if you do so. And speaking of social media. So you can find us to continue the conversation, whether it's about Barry Windsor Smith art or if you want to. Look for some of those things we might tweet out uh, on Twitter and Instagram. It's at last comic shop on Facebook. It's at last comic shop podcast. And you can find all of these at our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where you can also find what J.A. Some merchandise, of course, find shirts and socks, beer koozies, all your great last comic shop merch. Absolutely. Something nice for the Thanksgiving dinner. Yes. Get yourself a T-shirt. Wear that proudly with your turkey leg and your mashed yes. potatoes this this Thanksgiving. I have mine. And uh, and speaking of our, our fantastic guest, Mikey Wood, where can they find some of your terrific work uh, that you've done in the comic book medium? Amazon.com. You can order uh, Hate Your Friends and um, Pack of Lies. Uh, I almost forgot the title of my own book. Uh, you could read uh, I Hate Your Friends for free on graphite.com as well as El Phantasma, the first chapter. Uh, I'm going to start getting back to work now that I moved. I am no longer Pittsburgh-based artist, Mikey Wood. I am now Cranberry Township-based artist, Mikey Wood. How about it? Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. I wonder if they have any comic book shops in the Cranberry Township area. How would they find that out, Chad? I'm going to say they can go to the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com where you too can go and find local comic shops in your area where you might look for things like Man Thing or Firepower or Weapon X or The Horrorist or Monsters. There you go. And until next week, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined, as always, by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott, as well as our fantastic guest, uh, Mikey Wood. We hope to have him back. And until then, stay safe, stay sheltered. And remember, Berman ain't always just for drinking. It's also for making terrific gravy. The Last Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.